0: Since it's Labor Day weekend, I thought that today we would talk about our work and our calling. And to start us off, we'll start us off slow because we're kind of just wiping the cobwebs from our brains from the summer, entering and thinking about work and school. Uh, I wanted to start us off with a fun clip from a movie. Uh, I really enjoy this movie. It's a really fun movie called Daddy Daycare. Have You heard of it? <laughs> and in this movie, there's two dads, Eddie Murphy and this other guy, and they're advertising executive hotshots. And they work all the time, they're terrible dads, and then they lose their jobs. And they have a hard time finding their jobs, they're being stay-at-home dads for the time being, terrible (laughs) at their job, uh, caring for their kids. And in that space, they're feeling so anxious, they're feeling Um, Just a lot of uh, anxiety over money, over their identity, over their worth, over what are they gonna do for work. And so, we have our first clip here. Let's see what they decide to do. What? A daycare center, you and me. Yes, Phil, this is a completely underserved market. Harrington has a monopoly on this whole suburb. All we have to do is just come in and establish ourselves as a value alternative and we'll clean up you think I'd be good at taking care of kids? Absolutely! Excuse me, are these your kids? No. So work, right? Work is a big part of our lives. And the average person probably works a third of every single day. And that's the most time that we spend on any one chunk of time each day. The average person also works about a third of their whole lives. That's a lot of time, right? So most likely we'll probably spend more time with our coworkers than we do with our best friends or even our family members. So we spend a lot of time at work. Work is on our minds a lot. And if we are blessed to have options, if we go go to college, go to grad school, we have opportunities, well, that's a blessing, right? But for so many people, it feels like a curse because now we have all this existential crisis, this anxiety over, What am I going to do with my life? How has God created me? What are my giftings? And we start thinking about this from such a young age. Because when we're young, what do people do? The adults come up to us and they say, what do you want to? Yeah, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? So we start thinking about all these things from such a young age. I have a story. Um, When I I was blessed to have opportunities, I went to college and I went to grad school. Uh, I got my master's in public policy. And what that is, is that's sort of like an MBA for the nonprofit or government sectors. And I was young. I, I uh, went straight from undergraduate to graduate school. And when I was nearing graduation, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to make a difference in the world. I knew I wanted to maybe work in the nonprofit or a non governmental organization, the NGO sector. But um, I didn't know exactly what where I should concentrate, what I should do. And we had these recruiters who would come to school, but most of the times, the recruiters were from investment banking or management consulting firms, these big, you know, businesses. And I never really quite pictured myself in those kinds of jobs, but all my friends were were signing up for these interviews. They were doing it. They really wanted to work there. And they all encouraged me. They said, you should really do this because it's great. You know, even though you're working really hard, you'll make a lot of money, you'll pay off all your student loans, and then you can quit and you can do whatever you want to do. And I thought, great, but I still don't know what that means, you know. And so there was this one recruiter that was coming by, and every day I'd walk by the career center, I'd see the sign-up sheet for this um, recruiter, and I just couldn't get myself to put my name down because at that time, for whatever reason, I just felt like if I wrote my name down there, it just was... A much bigger statement about what I wanted to do with my life so it it just seemed like this was representative of of what I wanted to do and I prayed every single day and I never heard God say anything so finally by the end of the week I finally say you know this is ridiculous I haven't heard from God but you know what I'm just gonna do it I'm gonna sign up for it because it'll just be great experience the worst that can happen is you know I have I I get experience doing an interview right so I go up to the sign up sheet only to find out that all of the name slots have been taken. So there's no more space. And I, I've, I've just now built myself up on this whole frenzy. I spent the whole week thinking about this. And so now I'm determined I'm going to do an interview, right? So the day the recruiter comes, I go to him at the beginning. I say, hey, you know, I really wanted to do this interview, but there's no more s- slots available. Is there anything you can do? And he said, well, at the end of the day, I've got this break come back then and I'll interview then. So I say, oh, thank you, God. This must mean that God wants me to do this, right? And so I come back at the end of the day and he has gone so uh, far behind on all his interviews that he's got no time whatsoever. And so he says, I'm sorry, I don't have any time, but tell you what, I really have to go to the bathroom uh, before my next interview. Tell you what, let's walk and talk. Uh, okay, <laughs> and so we're walking to the men's room. Uh, he's asking me questions. I'm answering. He goes into the men's room You know, I'm we're, we're, we're uh, he's asking me questions. I'm I'm answering them. He walks into the bathroom stall And he's asking me questions <laughs> And I'm just acting so cool You know, like I always give interviews in the men's room. <laughs> this happens to me all the time and we're talking And when we're done, I say, you know what? I I really appreciate your time. Uh, Tell you what, I'd love to continue the conversation in different circumstances. (laughs) You know, if you'd love to talk, you know, please, I'll leave you my resume. And with that, I take my resume, and yes, I hand it to him under the bathroom stall door. (laughs) You know, he never called me back. I, I don't know why. I thought I was a shoe-in. It went so well, right? <laughs> and so work, work is a big deal. We spend a lot of time thinking about work and, and obsessing about it. And I think that's because we all want to try to find meaning in our work, right? We want a meaningful, significant job, so it makes a big difference to us. You know, Gallup did a, a poll worldwide in 2013. They found that only 13% of people were satisfied in their job, actively engaged with their job. Only 13%, right? And 63%, over half the people, were not engaged. That means they were uh, not happy. They were still productive. They were probably just doing the bare minimum to get by. But then 24%, one in four people, were actively disengaged. That means they were unhappy, unproductive. Maybe they were even uh, sabotaging (laughs) the work. You're sabotaging your work right have you ever had someone like that huh and so a lot of people are very unsatisfied with their work so work is a big deal so today i want to answer two questions the first question is does god care about our work and if he cares about our work then the second question is how do we follow god's calling in our work and before we dive into these questions I just want to say there's a lot of really smart people who have given these questions a lot of thought, and one person in particular, his name is Will Messenger, and he's a friend of mine, and for the past 15 years, he has um, been working on a website called theologyofwork.org, and a lot of uh, my thinking as I was preparing for this came from this website, so if what I'm saying is of interest to you, definitely go check it out. There's a lot of great resources there. The first question, does God care about our work? And I think the best place to start answering that question is from the very beginning, the very beginning of the Bible in creation, in Genesis. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28, and this is what it says here. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in the beginning, God creates man and woman in his image. And what that means is that we are endowed with the characteristics of God. And because we reflect who God is, It's right. It's actually very appropriate for him to hand us the responsibility of ruling over creation. But now, when we talk about ruling over creation, it's not like, you know, Adam and Eve are just sitting back, hanging out, sitting on the throne, you know, naked, hanging out, watching and surveying all of creation. No, it actually says in Genesis 2, this is what it says. It says here, Genesis 2, 5 and 15. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. No plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. So something that God has to do for creation. But then there was no one to work the ground. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So in order for that garden to grow, he has to take man and woman, put them in the garden to do the work. And I think we oftentimes have, we have this image of what the garden of Eden is, right? From either paintings or pop culture. We have this image where it's lush and verdant and green and Adam and Eve are just hanging out and everything is just magically growing and then magically serves them, right? But no, that's not the case. It actually takes real work to tend the garden. Now, many biblical scholars also think that this passage um, is special and it points out that Adam and Eve's responsibilities probably were more than just tending a garden that actually was more expansive. This passage in 128 particularly, it's often called the creation mandate or some people call it the cultural mandate. And one writer, I thought she, she stated it so well, I thought let's just read what she has to say. Her name is Nancy Piercy. In her book, Total Truth, she explains why it's called the cultural mandate. She says, the first phrase to be fruitful and multiply means to develop the social world. In other words, build families, churches, schools, cities, governments, and laws. Build civilization, right? The second phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world. Plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music, in other words, create culture. So because this passage is called the cultural mandate, I mean this passage is called the cultural mandate because it reminds us that our original purpose was to not just stay in the garden, but actually to spread across the whole earth, to be fruitful, to multiply, to build civilizations, to create culture. And that takes a lot of work, right? But it's good work. It's purposeful work. It's meaningful work. And we are hardwired to be creators and to be cultivators, because we're creating the image of God. So something that we're good at, something that we want to do, is something that we find meaning in doing. But something sad, something tragic happens along the way. I'm sure you've heard of the story of the fall uh, where Adam and Eve, they eat of the one fruit they're not supposed to eat. And because of that, that introduces sin into the world. And then they are banished, rejected, and uh, they fall from the Garden of Eden. Uh, And now there's sin in the world. And they are not only Separated, not only is the relationship broken from God, but there is brokenness in our relationships with each other and now in our relationship with work, right? So in Genesis 3 17 through 18, it says this Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So With sin in the world, we still need to work. We still have the same calling, the same purpose to go out, the cultural mandate, go out and fill the earth, create civilizations, create culture. But now work is made more difficult because now there's sin, there's thorns and thistles in our work. Do you ever feel like your work is full of thorns and thistles? You know what I'm talking about? It's just harder than it used to be, right? Everything takes longer than you think it's going to take. People can be really difficult, right? (laughs) Some people are smiling. Maybe you've got a boss that's really, really difficult. Um, Maybe your job is just so physically taxing uh, that you're in pain, you're in chronic pain maybe, or maybe you get injured on the job. So we all face thorns and thistles, right? Or maybe your work feels like this next clip from Daddy Daycare. want my dog. I need help. the the That's my favorite one the little flash guy. My kids are never like that, really. (laughs) So to recap, we're creating the image of God. Because of this, we're handed the responsibility of multiplying, filling the earth, building uh, civilizations, creating culture. But now because of the fall, our work is difficult. Our work is filled with thorns and thistles. But I want to encourage you as people of God that if work is hard because of our thorns and thistles, we are not called to give up because our work is hard or because there's sin in the world or because of thorns and thistles, no. We are called to be overcomers, right? Overcomers of sin, overcomers of the thorns and the thistles. God has called us to join him in helping to bring the world closer to the way that God intended it to be. That's our purpose, right? In 1 John, in the book of 1 John 5, 4, it says this, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Some translations say overcomes the evil world or the evils of this world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith. So our secret weapon is the fact that we're people of God. We've got faith. We've got prayer. We've got God. That's how we're going to overcome this world, through God, through our faith. Amen? And so if God cares about our work, in fact, commissions us to work, then the second question is how do we follow God's calling on our work, right? And one of the interesting things is that the the folks over at TheologyOfWork.org, Um, what they did is they went through the whole Bible Bible, from beginning to end, and they counted the number of times that a specific person was called to a specific job. So, you know, we're talking like um, Noah in the ark, um, Moses to set his people free in Egypt, Esther for such a time as this to rescue her people from being slaughtered. Uh, Maybe it would be Jonah going to Nineveh. Uh, the disciples being called by Jesus. So anytime there was a specific calling to a specific purpose for a specific job, they counted it. And, you know, they only counted about a 100 of these instances. So it's really actually not entirely clear that God has a very specific calling to a specific job for everyone else, right? That's that's a very small number of people. So I think if that's true, then, like every other major decision in our life, it's a process. Trying to figure out what we want to do for work is a process, right, of discerning what God's will is. What does God want me to do in this particular situation? And maybe, just maybe, there isn't one right answer, right? And that's what makes it a little more difficult. And I think at this point in a sermon like this, you know, often we talk about, okay, well, let's, let's figure out what your calling is. Let's figure out uh, what are your giftings and how does it match what the world needs? And that's great. Maybe I might even put up a slide like this next one, it says, you know, your true purpose is that intersection of what you love doing, what the world needs, what you can get paid for, what you're good at. And that would be a great sermon. That would be a fun sermon. I'd love to preach that sermon. But you know what? I'm not going to preach that one today. In fact, I want to go to a different direction. And I want to offer a different thought. So try this on. What if God gives us a higher calling? that supersedes our calling in our work? What if God actually gives us an even higher calling that supersedes our calling in our work? Because while there's actually relatively very few instances in where a specific person is called to a specific job, it's very clear in the Bible that God has a calling for all of his people. And Jesus sums it up very nicely. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> so discerning what we do for work, that's great. It's it's something that we should do, and we should press into and try to figure out for each of us, but what if there's actually a higher calling that even is above our calling in our work? And if that's true, then I think we've got some really interesting implications, right? So the first one, is that if God has a higher calling for our lives that supersedes our jobs, what that means is that we can actually still find purpose and meaning even if we're not in the job of our dreams, right? That's a pretty big one. And perhaps God has brought you to a specific job because he wants to fulfill some mysterious purpose that we don't even know about that goes beyond our current happiness in that job, right? Maybe he's brought us to a particular job because he wants us to to connect with a particular person or to gain a particular skill. Or maybe he wants to build character through a particular trial that you're gonna go through. So it's not always gonna be rosy, but God has a plan in that. Or maybe he's doing it, uh, giving you this job because it just is a great job that pays you money, right? There is nothing wrong with an honest job that pays an honest wage. That's good, that's a good thing to provide for ourselves and our family. Or maybe in this season of your life, the job that you have is to care for a child or your children or one of your parents, right? It's not a paid job, but it's a job, it's work. It's, it's and it's good work, right? So maybe God has a higher purpose for our, for our lives beyond just the job we're in. Number two. The second implication is, without God, our job, even if it's our dream job, the best job in the world, our job will actually be meaningless in the long run without God. So Solomon, King Solomon in the Bible, he was supposedly the most wisest man in the, Bible, in the earth. Um, the Bible, uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, he writes this, he says, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. For I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successes will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless! So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get? in this life for all their hard work and anxiety. Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. You guys ever wake up in the moonlight thinking about work? <laughs> so yeah, so I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures, yes, food is a pleasure, drink is a pleasure, but also work is supposed to be a pleasure. All these pleasures are from the hand of God. So without God, we run the risk of idolizing our work, right? We try to find satisfaction and our whole reason for being in our work as opposed to finding satisfaction and our whole reason for being in God. And in that relationship with God, then partnering, joining what God is trying to do in our work and for our work, right? It's a distinction, but an important one, right? Alright, so the third implication, last, is if God gives us all the same calling, you know, it's a nice reminder that there is no difference in between vocational ministry and what we oftentimes quote-unquote called secular work, right? Because the idea that full-time ministers like pastors and missionaries that they're the only ones doing quote-unquote God's work, well, that, that's a, actually a very current Um, concept in church history, and it's actually not biblical. There's many places in the Bible. For example, in Ephesians, the apostle Paul says this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. So in God's eyes, we're actually all doing his work. Pastors and missionaries and other folks like that, they're Vitally important. Don't get me wrong, but their job is actually to equip all of the rest of us to do God's work, to follow God's cultural mandate, to fill the earth, to build civilization, to create culture, to help bring the world closer to the way that God intended it to be. Amen. So, I want to end with three tips. The first tip is seek God's higher calling in our work. All right. So. Whatever job we're in, whether it's our dream job, whether it's the worst job we've ever had, whether it's the first job, the last job, whatever job we're in, try to find what is God doing in my work? Because oftentimes there's a higher purpose for our work. right? So how many of you guys have heard of a guy named Paul Farmer? Anyone, Paul? Okay, just a few people. So Paul Farmer, if you are in the healthcare field, the international development field, Paul Farmer is a living legend. This is a guy who is a doctor, and a professor at Harvard, but that's actually not why he's famous. He's famous because he started an organization called Partners in Health. And Partners in Health works in Haiti and in other developing countries, and it brings first-rate, top-notch healthcare to these areas. And he has been so influential in the field of healthcare in developing countries that, no joke, many people have said, this is the man who's going to cure the world. (laughs) that's how big he is, right? So he's a really big guy. And even if you know who Paul Farmer is, you've probably never heard of a guy named Tom White. Anyone know who Tom White is? All right. So Tom White is a very wealthy businessman, very well-connected businessman here in Boston. And he also has a passion for social justice. And when he met Paul Farmer, found out what he was doing. This is when Paul was just starting off. They got together, they hit it off, and Tom started pouring all this money into Paul's work. And without his connections, without the millions of dollars that Tom has given to Paul, Paul Farmer and Partners in Health would not be Paul Farmer and Partners in Health today, right? I mean, he really single-handedly is the person responsible for financially funding Partners in Health, right? So he's a really important guy. We never hear about him. And um, uh, Paul would travel back and forth between Haiti and Boston. And whenever he was back in Boston, um, Tom would get together, they would get sandwiches, and they would eat them in his car. There's a great story here uh, from the book Mountains Beyond Mountains, which chronicles Paul Farmer's story. And in the book, it talks this wonderful story. They're in the car, they're eating sandwiches. And Tom looks over at Paul and says, Paul, you look terrible. Have you been eating? You look awful. And Paul doesn't really say anything. And so, you know, Tom grabs his wallet out, takes a couple hundred dollar bills, gives it to me, says, just eat. Jeez, you look terrible. And Paul goes, well, to be honest, I I gave my money away. I took my last paycheck. And I had a patient who had AIDS. He was about to be evicted. So I gave him my money. And Tom goes, geez, don't you think that's pretty impractical? And Paul says, well, God brought you here today, didn't he? (laughs) And then Tom goes, you know what? Some days, I just think I want to throw it all away. I want to become a missionary and join you in Haiti. And that's what I want to do. And Paul looked at Tom for a second. He says, you know, Tom, in your instance, that would be a sin. (laughs) Right? Because Tom didn't see that the purpose for his job was that he was able to fund his and Paul's passion to bring first-rate health care Dignity to the poorest of the poor in the world. And that pleases God. Yeah, amen? So the second tip is how we do our work is just as important as what we do, right? So in Genesis, the cultural mandate tells us what to do, build civilizations, create culture, but it doesn't really tell us how to do it. I think God's greatest commandment, love God and love others, that's a great even though it's a big picture, it's a great way of thinking about how to do our work, right? Because how we treat people in our relationships, relationships matter, right? Our relationships with other people matter just as important as what we do, right? And so um, I have a story. Um, I end up my first job, I ended up working as a real estate developer, developing affordable housing. And that was actually a great first job for me because I really actually had an interest in housing and architecture and urban planning. So kind of was able to marry my interest in, in that with social justice. And uh, in my job, you have to go out to bid for contractors on your projects. And so uh, I was always dealing with contractors. And one time I was on the phone with one of my contractors and he had asked me a question. And I knew that if I answered the question honestly, that he would have the upper hand in this particular instance here, and it would kind of give him the upper hand in the negotiation, and so I lied. I lied to him, and I hung up the phone, and I immediately felt the Holy Spirit convicting me for lying, you know? And it actually wasn't that big of a deal, because interactions like that happen all the time, right? And everyone just probably assumes that everyone else is lying, right? And so this wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but I felt really bad about lying. And that evening, uh, I just happened to have my small group. So I went to my small group and we talked about it and we prayed about it. Um, and, uh, and they suggested, you know what, I think you should maybe, even though this would be um, unconventional, I think you should actually call him and, and apologize and confess what you, that it was a lie. And I said, okay, I think I'll do it. And I think this is actually a good pause right here. This is a good commercial break for small groups, right? How many of you guys are in a, have been in a small group this past year? Great. So not a lot of you, a lot more in the first service. We have awesome small groups that were just start, we just started last year. They're fantastic. Small groups are a wonderful way to build relationships, go deeper, get the support that you need for life, right? And so we're going to have a small group fair Sunday, September 25th. After the service, you'll meet all the small group leaders. You'll have a chance to sign up for different groups. We'll talk more about it then. But join a small group. It'll be great. It'll help to change your life. I guarantee it. All right. End commercial. So back to the story. So the next day, I uh, call this guy up. I say, you know, yesterday, I'm sorry I lied. um, And I didn't tell you the truth. And He laughed it off. He said, do five Hail Marys, and then it kind of blew over, right? That was it. Uh, so it wasn't that big of a deal in the end. He kind of blew it off. He kind of, you know, it kind of felt awkward for both of us, <laughs> you know, and I had no idea why God wanted me to do it, but he did. Now, fast forward, I was in that job about seven years, <laughs> so fast forward, I'm now working as an associate pastor for a church, and in that church, we buy a, we buy a new church building, and we have to renovate the church building, right? And guess who is the contractor in this project? Right. It's this guy, right? And so all of a sudden it hits me. I realize that even though it seemed like a, such a silly and awkward transaction, that it came full circle. And that contractor got to see how a person of God wants to treat other people. Right? Right? Amen? And so... How we do our work is just as important as what we do. So the third tip, the last one, is be persistent when you encounter thorns and thistles because work takes work to redeem it, right? <clears throat> because of sin on our world, we now have to deal with sin, thorns, thistles, right? It's a spiritual battle, right? And so last I heard, battles were hard. War is tough, right? It's not easy. So it's going to take a lot of work to spiritually pull out the weeds all those thorns and thistles in our work and in our relationships, right? So fast forward, I was in another job, and in this job, I had a co-worker who was so <laughs> difficult to work with. This guy was so difficult that even our boss didn't want to work with him. He was like, yep, you know, I wash my hands clean. He can do whatever he wants to do because I don't care, right? <laughs> Great. Thanks for the support, you know? And we had to work on a project together, and he was so hard to work with. He was always negative, very surly guy. You know, there was always miscommunication. I would ask him for something. He would either ignore me, or he would um, oftentimes give me all these reasons why. He couldn't answer my very simple question. I was like, ah, it's so simple. Just answer the question. We'd come up with agreements about how to move forward. And then the next day, he would just change his mind, and say, well, I don't want to do it that way. Ah, we wrote it down. This is what we agreed on, you know? It was so hard. And finally, one day, this went on for weeks. One day, we had this conflict. And so we were going to get together to hash it out. And I was at my wit's end. I was like, I-, I can't do this anymore because I've tried every single strategy I know on how to deal with difficult people. This is not working out. And I went to my boss. My boss said, oh, I don't know. Beats me. <laughs> I-, I don't know why you're trying to work with him. He goes, oh, thanks. <laughs> and so... I go to some of my coworkers, who are also followers of God, and we pray about it. And guess what? It was the best meeting that we ever had, right? We worked through our issues, we, uh, we apologized, he apologized, I apologized, we talked about different things. We came up with a game plan, we wrote it down. He then went to his department, got his department to buy into the plan. It was like, this was, this was a miracle. My boss says, what did you do? I said, I tried everything. Nothing worked. So I prayed. I guess it was prayer, right? Amen. <laughs> Remember our secret weapon to be overcomers? It's God. It's our faith, it's prayer, right? So, you know, bring God into it. Bring God into our work. In the Daddy Daycare movie, the storyline and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to give away the ending a little bit here, but, but honestly, if it's a surprise to you, then you really should get out more because, you know, <laughs> these movies are not, are not unpredictable, you know? And so after they press through all of their thistles and thorns, right, they discover that they love running a daycare center. They love kids. In fact, they find more meaning in their job taking care of kids and they do being these executive, you know, advertising executive hotshots. And they also reconnect with their sons, and their relationship with their sons is vastly improved, right? And so all of the hard work, let's see what the fruit of their hard work looks like here in our last clip. Oh, hey, little man. Man, that's this wasn't a bad trade-off. Yeah, So, PT, I want to encourage you. Go forth with faith, hope, and perseverance in your work. And remember God's greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbors as yourself.